Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Josh, and uh, I'm a preacher from Des Moines, and I'm thankful to be with all of you guys here uh, for this week. Here's my prayer. My prayer is that you would know God and love Him and lay down your life for Him. And I pray that that will be a powerful week for you. And that's been my prayer um, all week. And I think also the Holy Spirit is telling me now to say thank you to Phil Betts and his leadership at this camp. And I just, I just want to pray over him. Can we do that? Amen. Yeah. And I also just want to express our gratitude to him. Phil, we love you, brother. Thank you. And let's, let's quickly pray over him. Father, we pray over Phil. We pray over Dave as well. God, may you give them the grace and the wisdom and the power and the energy and the strength to continue to lead this camp to the feet of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would continue to bless him, bless he and his family. Lord, continue to bless the leadership and the vision that he has for the gospel here. And oh God, may you lift him up this week and strengthen him in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I'm a preacher in Des Moines, and I just want to flash up a quick picture of my family. Do we have that? Okay, uh, there we go. There's the fam. Okay, so I um, am a father of five girls. Amen. Amen. Yeah, amen, and keep those prayers coming, amen? Now, that's, uh, that's us in South Dakota in June. Um, here's the church that I pastor. We can do that next slide. So we bought a Fairway grocery store. That's what we did. Yes. Any Fairway employees? Yes, okay. We thank God for you. Thanks for selling your building to us. Yes. Um, we started my church, or we started this church, in my basement 13 years ago, and God's done an amazing thing in South Des Moines and is continuing to do his great work uh, through Jesus. So that's the church we pastor. I know, hold all the grocery store jokes. Yeah, Salvation Aisle 5, heard it before. Okay, like all those things. But we are so thankful. It's an amazing space, and we praise God for what he's doing. Um, the theme for the week this week is going all in for Christ and getting a new identity. Going in, all in for Christ and getting a new identity. And if you have a copy of God's Word, you can open it up to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. And we're going to read the first 18 verses of Acts 26. Going all in for Christ and getting a new identity. No doubt our counseling ministry at our church is filled with high schoolers and the counseling that we do with high schoolers is filled with a bunch of young men and young women who are struggling to figure out who they are. And we're working through identity counseling almost all the time. And I would guess that if you're here at camp, there's some sense of that in your soul tonight. You don't necessarily know who you are. You don't know how you fit in. You don't understand fully who God is and who you are and how you fit into His plan. And I, I would guess that you're probably struggling with doubt 
fear, worry, anxiety. Some of you are angry. Some of you are just struggling to figure out what your relationship with God looks like because your relationship with your parents is bad. And so we're going to read the scripture. And as we do, I want to say the invitation to trust Jesus starts now, okay? This is going to be the most uncamp like invitation of all time. You normally wait till Friday. I'm starting Monday night and we haven't even gotten in the word yet. Trust Jesus now, amen? Just figure I'd get ahead of the game. But I, I'm opening the invitation now to trust in Jesus. I'm opening the invitation now to have a conversation with myself or Phil or a counselor or your pastor that you're here with. Start the conversation tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon. Get saved. I don't think there's a timetable by which we say, well, Friday at 8.30, that's the proper time to be saved. I'm saying you need to be invited into the great gospel that Jesus Christ offers you. So the invitation begins now, and let's read God's word together. Acts 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. And he said, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am going to make my defense today. Against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. You have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made to God of our, to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain and they earnestly worship night and day. For this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself am convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice say to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen in me and those in which I will appear to you. 
delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Uh, Let's pray. Father, there's so many people, even in this room, who could stand up here and preach better than me, preach more eloquently, preach more knowledgeably. God, for whatever reason you've called me to preach this week to this group, And God, we're asking that you would take this word and that you would supernaturally take it and run into the hearts, into the minds of every young man and every young woman who needs to hear it. God, my heart is for every person in here, and I know that your heart is even more so. And God, would you show up and do great things for the sake of your glory and for the honoring of of the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you use this word in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul in Acts 26 finds himself in a very tough but wonderful situation. He's been sitting in prison for two years trying to share Jesus with this guy named Felix. And he shares Jesus with him, but Felix is replaced. He's replaced by a guy named Festus. Any of you named Festus here tonight? And Festus, he's kind of getting Paul's story. And he's like, this is is crazy. Who is this guy? What is going on with him? So he brings in, let's get Agrippa in here. King Agrippa comes in, and Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great. If you want to know who Herod the Great is, ask your pastor. He'll tell you all about it. Herod the Great was not a great guy. And all of a sudden, Agrippa is like, yeah, I'll come in. I'll hear this guy, Paul, hear his story. And they come in. Agrippa comes into the room with Bernice. And and, and here comes Festus as well. And then here comes Paul, the apostle. The raggedy, jail-ridden apostle Paul comes in and, and, and he testifies to the gospel of the grace of God. If you could picture uh, Festus and Agrippa coming in, it'd be like uh, Phil and Dave coming in, lords of IRBC, right? And they come in with pomp and circumstance, and they come in and they want to hear you. They want to hear your story. You'd be a little scared. But the Apostle Paul steps up, and he's uniquely wired for this opportunity. Because he's ready You see, Paul was a citizen of Rome. His hometown was Tarsus in Cilicia. He knew how the Roman system worked. He he grew up in it. He understood it. And then he also was a Jewish Pharisee, former Jewish Pharisee at this time. So he knew how the Jewish law worked. He was trained in Jerusalem. And he was uniquely ready for this moment because the Apostle Paul lived in two worlds. Rome and Jerusalem, he had pretty good knowledge of both. 
And those two systems still exist today. Did you know that? Rome and Jerusalem still exist today. Paganism, secularism, the whole idea of a Roman system, like that whole idea of just us being left to our humanistic selves, that is Rome. And Jerusalem is religion. It's uh, religiosity. It's, uh, you know, singing the right songs and preaching the right sermons. And uh, Paul knew how both of those systems work, so he was uniquely ready for this moment. And Agrippa allowed Paul, you can see it in verse 1, to speak for himself. He said, hey, you, you have permission to speak for yourself, which is basically an invitation to share your testimony. Hey, you, share your story. Which leads me to remember Psalm 66, verse 16. Have you ever read that verse before? All right, come and hear all you who fear God. And I will tell you what he's done for my soul. Paul is getting ready to live out Psalm 66, verse 16. And he's deeply grateful. He bows before Agrippa. And he just stands and he's ready to go. And you know what he does? He tells the story of how he came to know Jesus. And Paul says, I've I've lived in this world called Rome. I've lived in this world called Jerusalem. And those worlds collided when I met with Jesus Christ. When I got saved, it was like worlds colliding. And let me tell you about it. So Paul's testimony is all about worlds colliding. And you know when God saves somebody, he makes their worlds collide first. When God saves a soul, when he saves a sinner, he makes their worlds collide. He makes Rome and Jerusalem collide. He makes paganism and secularism and sin collide with not only religion, but Jesus. And I think that's the idea. As we dig into this passage, what I want you to think about is the question you might be asking or a statement you might be making, my worlds are colliding right now. I don't know many of you, but maybe you walked into this camp saying, I don't know where I'm at. I just know my worlds are colliding. I've got this world, this secular world, this world that I'm in. It's full of sin. It's full of self. It's full of hypocrisy and and just desire and hedonism. And others of you walked in and you said, and I got this other life, this religious life. I go to church. I do all the things My goodness, I'm at church camp. Look at me. I'm religious. But you might be saying in your heart, man, my worlds are colliding and I don't know what to do. You know, when Jesus invades a heart, he makes their worlds collide. So Paul's going to lay out three collisions. Three collisions that happen in Acts 26. Collision number one is being religious but lost. Look with me in verses 9 through 12. He said, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison, but after receiving authority from the chief priests, when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in all the synagogues, tried to make them blaspheme. And then verse 11, see this, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them to foreign cities. Paul said that he was convinced in verse 9 in his mind that he had to oppose the name of Jesus. 
He got to this place as a Pharisee and as a Jew where he looked at Jesus of Nazareth and he said, I got to do something about this. I mean, this guy is making my life stink. I got to get in the way. So Paul had a harsh opinion about Jesus. He could not be swayed away from it. You couldn't talk him out of it. And he was invincible in his mind. Getting arrest warrants, going down, taking believers out of out of houses and places of worship and overseeing the death of Stephen. You might remember him in the book of Acts. Paul was using the full weight of his religious influence to destroy Christianity. Paul, do you understand, he was a man in conflict before he came to Jesus. He was conflicted in his heart. He was religious but secular. He was just a mess inside of his heart and mind. And that, maybe that's some of you. Let me tell you a little bit about my life, if I could. I went to church because it was expected. My mama raised me right. Amen? My mama raised me right. I was in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. My mom was a first generation Lutheran Christian, right? So she was like all in. My dad was a very, very strict Baptist, all right? So you can see those worlds colliding, going boom, like that. Like that's how my upbringing was. I had three brothers, no sisters. And so growing up, dad was like, get to church. Yes, sir. And mom was like, oh, we just love you. We're just praying for you. We just want you to know Jesus. Okay, so that was my world growing up. Mom raised me right. I knew the Bible. I knew how to sing all the hymns. I knew the commands of God. But I was made to go to church. I was made to go to church. Phil asked me, he's like, hey, did you go to IRBC when you were in high school? And I said, I wasn't saved yet. So no, I did not. I didn't go to IRBC. I like sin more than God. There was a rebellious streak. There was a passion in my heart that was anti-God. And so as we went to church week after week and heard all the sermons and all those things, my heart was drawn elsewhere. I was going elsewhere. I was being drawn into sin of every single kind. Sexual sin, for sure. Sports, for sure. And a whole bunch of other idolatry that I'm not super proud of, but that was where I was at. I would come in and hear preachers preach and I would just walk out and say, no, I, I want what I want. I want what I want. And I knew Jerusalem. I knew that world of religion. And I also was growing to really like the world of Rome. Because when you live without limits, it's fun for a while until your sin catches up with you. And so I would make fun of Christians, I would mock them, I would stay away from most church meetings. And, I, and you know, one night, I just, I just hung out with a lot of the wrong friends, just like some of you. And one night, there was a baseball game, and uh, I was hanging out with guys that shouldn't be hanging out with, and they're like, hey, Daggett, let's do something fun. You want to do something fun tonight? I'm like, yeah, I'm always up for fun. So let's go, uh, let's go egging. You guys ever been egging before? <laughs> Don't raise your hands. Come on now. <laughs> let's go egging. Okay, I'll go egging. Sure, let's do it. 
So we, we went to our local grocery store, filled up our cars with eggs, and then we went and had fun. And what happened that night was we were particularly evil. We just were. We would go knock on people's doors first. That's not smart. And we would wait for the people to come to the doors. And then when they opened the doors, then we would throw eggs and pelt them onto people. That was me. And I was filling myself up that whole night, 10, 11, 12, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. There was one particular, it was our last house of the night. And I remember it was, in a, it was an older gentleman. And we knocked on the door. Older gentleman came to the door. And we just let him have it. And he fell down. And you know what wicked sinners do? We laughed. And we drove away. Two weeks, two weeks later, I'm out on a double date with one of my wicked friends and a couple girls. I get a call from my dad. Where are you? Um, I'm at Perkins, dad. Um, you need to get home now. Why, dad? The police are at our house. Oh, that's a problem. <laughs> So we speed home, we drop the girls off, we go, and on the way home, my dad called and said, you need to meet us at the police station, actually. Go to the police station, walk in, sit down with two cops, and they say, are you, are you Josh Daggett? Uh, yes, I am. We pulled your brother over earlier today for speeding. You did? What a wicked sinner he is. And we've been looking for you for two weeks, and your brother gave you up. Did you go egging a couple weeks ago here in town? Yeah, maybe. Did you go to such and such address at the end of your night? Did you, did you egg an old guy's house? Yes. He said, do you know what happened to that man? I said, no. What happened to that man? He said, that man had a heart attack at that moment and nearly died at his door entry. Do you know what would have happened to you, son, had that man died? No, I, I don't know. You would be in juvenile prison for 15 years for involuntary manslaughter. You could say that was a wake-up moment for me. Because for the first time in my life, God was beginning to expose all of my sin, all my desires, all my things, all the things I was doing. But did I come to Jesus at that moment? No, I did not. Because that's how we are as sinners. We are so stubborn that we will continue on in our ways. I was religious. I went to church. I was completely lost. I was confused, I was angry inside, I was full of indulgence. I was a lot like the Apostle Paul before he came to Christ. That's collision number one. You can be religious and totally lost. And for some of you, that's the question I want to ask you. Is that you? Are you religious but completely lost spiritually? You know it deep inside your heart and your mind. You know you're lost. God will make that collision happen. 
Collision number two is being dark and seeing the light. Verse 13 through 15. Being in darkness and seeing the light. Paul said, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. We had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul said that on the way to arrest more Christians, he saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. This was Paul's salvation account that he gave in Acts 22, and it's also the account you can read about in Acts chapter 9. Paul was not going to stop his persecution of Christians, so God had to intervene and kick him off of his horse with a bright light from Jesus. Paul heard a voice, Jesus' voice. And Paul was asked, why are you persecuting me, man? What's up? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, this is an agricultural term. It was used to describe an ox or a steer in a planter's field kicking against these pointed sticks. You know, if, a, if an ox doesn't want to go a certain way or a steer or some sort of bull doesn't want to go a certain way, it kicks against its owner and the goads are just these sharp sticks where the animal just kicks right into these sticks and they start bleeding and it hurts. So Jesus was telling Paul, Paul, you're an angry animal. You're kicking against me and it's hard on you. You're bleeding, you're hurt. And Paul says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Who is this divine presence or being who's talking to me and blinds me? And Jesus says, I am Jesus. Paul probably could not believe it at that moment. Jesus? The very man whose church I'm seeking to destroy is the one who's talking to me with glorious light? And, and is speaking to me as though he's interested in me and he wants to forgive me and he wants to call me to something different than what I'm doing. This Jesus, the Jesus that I hate, is the very Jesus who's talking to me right now and leading me from darkness to light. About a year after the egging incident, many, many other things went bad in my life. I was forced to go to a missions trip about a year later to New York City. And we stayed at the World Trade Center Marriott. If you don't know what the World Trade Center is, it was the buildings that got ran into in 2001. So this was the summer of 1999, and I'm sitting in the laundry room on the 23rd floor because a sinner got sent on a missions trip. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't want to go on a missions trip. And here I am. I can, I can do a lot of bad things in New York City. You can find a lot of bad things on the street in New York City. There's a lot of things to do and see in New York City. So for me, I'm like, okay, I'll just have a vacation. And I'll just, I'll just kind of skip out on all these things. My youth pastor hated me. Can I get a youth pastor? Amen. My youth pastor hated my guts. Where's Josh? Where's he at? What's he doing all the time? 23rd floor laundry room, not at the thing I'm supposed to be at. The chapel, I'm, I'm skipping out. And that night they had a concert of prayer. And for some reason, I'm sitting there. How lame and ridiculous do I look, by the way? I'm sitting in a laundry room in a hotel. 
That's how proud I am. That's how arrogant. I think I'm looking cool. You look like a dork, Josh. You're on a 23rd floor laundry room and all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I feel this conviction from God. Can't explain it. I feel this conviction from God that I need to be downstairs. I need to be down there for some reason. I need to just be there. And it was instantaneous that I knew I needed to be there. So I, go, I get out of the laundry room. I go down the elevator. I go down to this room. There's 1,500 teenagers at this concert of prayer event where there's praise and worship on the stage and there's testimonies being given on the microphone. And I'm sitting in the back. I'm in the very back. I mean, I'm in the way back. And I sit back there and there's a kid from Texas up there and he's got a microphone and he's sharing his story, he's sharing his testimony. And he starts talking about Jesus. And he starts talking about Jesus like he knows him. And I'm in the back of that room thinking, this guy, this kid has something I don't have. I know it instantaneously. He has something I don't have. He talks about Jesus like he's real. And he starts talking about the love of Christ. This kid came from a broken home. He came from nothing. And he's sitting here on this stage talking about how good God is and what Jesus has done in his life and how Jesus died on the cross and rose again for his sins. And he talked about how he knew forgiveness of sins and he had joy in his life. And I sat in the back of that room listening to that guy share some verses from Romans. And I said, I don't have that. Instantly, I knew it. The Holy Spirit of God was working in my heart in that moment because my life was a wreck and going worse. And in the back of that room, I realized several things. I'm a wicked sinner. I deserve hell. My life is so messed up, Jesus. I don't even know why you would want me. I don't, I'm going nowhere fast. I knew that. I thought about the egging incident and lots of other things that I had done wrong. And in that moment, I also thought about Jesus and I just knew that he loved me. I, thought, I looked at the cross and all of a sudden I knew that Jesus Christ died for every single sin I've ever committed. And it was in that moment I felt love. And in the moment after that, it was light. It was like the resurrected Jesus was there changing me. This is not everybody's salvation testimony. This is just mine, okay? I'm not saying you have to have this. I'm just saying this is what happened to me. And in that moment, Jesus said, Josh, I know all about you. I'm risen from the dead. I'm Lord of the universe and you need to repent and believe. And before I knew, I was on my face. There was no preacher talking to me. There was no just as I am invitation down an aisle. It was just me and Jesus. And I was on my face, weeping my eyes out, asking Christ to forgive me of my sins. Why would he want me? I mean, I mean why would he want me? Just it, it, it was over and over in my mind. Like, why would you want me? All I've ever done is waste every single Thing you've ever given to me? Why would you shower me with grace and love and mercy? Why would you bring light into my life? Just like Paul, 
It changed my life. I'm really old. <laughs> that's, 20, that's 21 years ago. Feels like yesterday. He's still changing my life. Amen? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you believe in the resurrected Jesus who not only raised from the dead but has ascended above all heavens and he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, when you believe in him, he still changes your life. It never gets old. It gets hard, amen, but it doesn't get old. You go from darkness to light. That's the collision that has to happen. For some of you tonight, you need to go from darkness to light. You need to go from sin to salvation. You need to go from all of your selfishness to the beauty of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You need to go from believing that you're God to believing that Jesus is God. And that brings us to our final collision, collision three, which is being given a new mission. Verse 16 through 18. But rise, stand upon your feet. I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, I've appeared to you for this purpose in verse 16 to be a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen. Jesus gave Paul the reason for his salvation at his conversion. He was going to give Paul a new mission. Paul, you're going to stop killing Christians and you are actually going to testify about me to all the, to all the world, like to the Gentiles and the Jews. You are going to go out from your people to the Gentiles. You're going to not kill Christians anymore. You're going to testify to me. That's a new mission. That's a good mission. That's the best mission. So that they may turn from darkness to light. Paul had been turned from darkness to light by Jesus in order to turn other people from darkness to light. Paul was going to give the same message he had just experienced to all of Europe. That's a pretty big call. He was going to give the same message of Jesus, minus the uh, blindness, you know, and getting kicked off of a horse, right? Wouldn't that be hard if every gospel presentation had to include that part? <laughs> like, I'm going to share the gospel with you, but you need to have a blinding light, and are, do you have a horse? Can you get on that real quick so you can get off that? No, he wasn't going to have to do the same method, but he was going to be giving the same message, that you may receive forgiveness of sins. Paul was going to go from delivering angry violence to delivering the message of salvation. So as we close, I want to say I got saved on July 6th. Ten days later, I'm in the weight room of my high school getting ready for my senior year of football. So we have all these weight room sessions, yada, 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 got to get stronger, yada, 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 got to win games, yada, yada, yada. So I'm lifting weights. Coach comes in and says, hey, Josh, I need to introduce you to a new coach. He's going to be your defensive coordinator. Oh, okay, great. New coach? That's awesome. His name's Sean. Hi, Sean. Nice to meet you. Quick introduction. I don't think anything about it. 
Two weeks later, he's at, our, he's at our church. What are you doing at our church, man? Well, I'm coming to your church. No, no, football coaches don't come to our church. <laughs> you don't understand. Like, that's against the, the, the rules of our church. <laughs> you're, you're not supposed to be here. And he's like, I don't care what is supposed to happen. I am going to be here. That man discipled me for the next three years of my life. I love that guy. I still love that guy. Taught me how to study the Bible for three years. Taught me what the inductive Bible study was. Showed me how to read God's word. Showed me how to love God's word. Showed me how to share God's word. That man had an indelible mark in my life. Still does. So after high school, I go to college. I get a basketball scholarship at an NAI school in Des Moines. Playing basketball, I'm getting invited to do a lot of drugs. I mean, a lot of drugs and a lot of parties. Weekly. Sometimes daily. All right, Dags, come here. Daggett, come here. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I'm saying, no, no, no. I, I love Jesus now. I don't do that stuff anymore. But I love the Bible, so I'm saying like, okay, like where, where do I go now, right? Where do I go now? What do I do? Because like, I love basketball, I love hoops, but I really love Jesus. I really love him. And so God's knocking on my heart and, and there's just this beautiful thing. We got beat by uh, 25 points on a road game. Coach was so angry we got B and, 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 you know, all my, all my teammates after the game were getting in this big bus, you know, and we're going to go back to Des Moines. And every, I mean, everybody is getting drunk. I, every single guy on my team is getting drunk in the back of the bus, <laughs> except for one guy. His name was Wesley, all right, and he was Catholic, all right? So he was like, he was like my, he was like my one semi-religious friend, on the team, it was just like, I won't do it, but, you know, I'm Catholic, I don't really know why, you know, and I'm just, it's true. And I, I'm like, I'm like the only one reading my Bible, I just want to read my Bible, that's all I want to do. And we're driving home, and I'm just like, I, I used to love basketball so much, I, I just don't love it like I used to, because I love Jesus now. I love the Bible now. And it was on that ride home that God says, Josh, I want to do something with your life. I want, to, I want to use you in ways that you don't even understand yet, but I'm going to call you from that. And in, in that moment, it was done deal. So I transferred from that college and went to Bible college and got a master's degree and yada, yada, yada. But here's why I'm saying all of that. God gave me a new mission. A mission of grace, a mission of mercy, a mission of joy, a mission of Jesus to the nations, a mission of Jesus to IRBC Senior High Camp. And that's what Jesus does. That collision, right? He doesn't want you to live for yourself. He wants you to live for him. So some of you tonight are religious but lost. And when God saves someone, he makes those worlds collide. And so if that's you tonight, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's the stage you're at. You're religious, but you're lost. I would encourage you to recognize how lost you are. 
For some of you, you're in darkness and Jesus is about ready to bring the light of his salvation to your life. I would encourage you to get ready. Get ready for grace, unlike you've ever experienced before. And some of you are on a mission of sorts, but God's calling you to a new one. Mainly the kingdom of God. So what about you tonight? Are your worlds colliding? Um, if you're going to get a new identity, you've got to go all in. At some point, some of you have to go all in and get saved. At some point, some of you have to realize sin is not all that great. At some point, some of you need to realize that God is opening the door for you to see the cross, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the first time. And for those of you who know Jesus, you've been given the greatest gift in the world. Salvation. How about you get on mission for His name? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time in Acts 26. God, there's probably a lot of worlds that are colliding. God, You know. You know the hearts of every, every person in here. But God, I pray that if You are speaking through Your Holy Spirit to people, God, that You might lead those people who don't know Jesus yet, lead them to salvation. May the seeds of the gospel be sown and may they be fruitful. And God, may you work in some people's lives. May you just knock them off their horse, lead them to the light. And for every Christian in here, God, put us on mission. Our world, our sin-cursed world, needs believers to be on mission more than ever before. So God, put us on mission and do great things. We trust you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen.